0: Um, It's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker. Before I do that, I want to just read out of the Psalms uh, something that I kept coming back to uh, throughout December. Uh, Somebody sent it to me at the beginning of the month uh, and just kept revisiting it. But Psalm 127 reads like this. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand and watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, uh, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Uh, the, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it is the idea. And likewise, uh, the church belongs to God and Jesus is the head of the church. And whether that's village or the church around the world, it's God's church, it's Jesus' church. And we're moving into the book of Acts. We're in Acts one today. And I don't think there's any book of the Bible that's, that's better for showing us how God births the church and moves it forward and what it looks like to be a part of the spiritual family of God. And so with us this morning, we have a New Testament expert. Uh, so Dr. Eka Tepamahu uh, is a new assistant professor of Portland Seminary and at George Fox University. And he's a native Indonesian who earned master's degrees, uh, an MDiv from Asia Pacific Theological Seminary, and a master's degree from Claremont School of Theology and Vanderbilt University. He has a broad range of academic interests, including the politics of language, race and ethnic theory, post-colonial studies, immigration studies, critical study of religion, and global Christianity, particularly with uh, the large Pentecostal and charismatic movements. And all these interests inform and influence the way he approaches the texts of the New Testament and the history of early Christian movements. Uh, He formerly worked as a pastor of an Indonesian congregation in Redlands, California. And from uh, the later years, from 2014 to 2018, he was a worship pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Just a side note, the scariest place to be a worship pastor uh, would be in Nashville, Tennessee. He enjoys hiking, running and and many other outdoor activities with his family and exploring local foods. I love this one is what he loves to do when he's traveling. But would you welcome with me our guest for today, Eka? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ken.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor Ken, for such a generous introduction. Can you hear me? The microphone didn't work in the early worship, so I just want to make sure that everybody can hear me. I am so glad to worship with you this morning with this beautiful worship. The song, uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place, is just one of my favorite songs. And let us just have that attitude as we enter this new year, amen? Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my family, in my life, in this church. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1, 6 to 8. <coughs> Acts 1, 6 to 8. I will read from an RSV version. If Whatever version you have, just follow me uh, in your Bible. Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times and periods or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Blessed are those who are not just the hearers of the word, but also the doers of the word. Last summer, I did something that I've never done before in my life. I come from Indonesia. If you know Indonesia, the, the, the length of Indonesia or the width of Indonesia is almost similar from the East Coast to the West Coast. So almost similar. However, Indonesia has a lot of islands. We have about 7, 5, 17,500 islands. So the idea of driving from one corner to, to the other corner is just like far from my mind. So when I receive a job offer from Portland Seminary, I told my wife, "You know, we can just fly that day, and then we arrive in the same day, right? It's easy. But this is summer. We want to have fun in the summer. So I told her, you know, we still have to ship our our cars anyway, right? So I told my wife, let's just do a road trip, cross-country road trip, something that that we've never done before. 2,350 miles! (laughs) right? The longest I go, maybe around 500 miles. You know, this is the longest drive that I've ever done. So, this is the picture we took when we were about to, to depart from Nashville. My kids right there. So, we were smiling. They don't know, that you know, what's going to happen in the road. <laughs> so, it was a fun, uh, fun time with family traveling, especially cross-country roads. How many of you have done it? Can you... God, so, so many of you can relate to this. <laughs> Traveling with family was fun, but also challenging, because especially if you have seven years old boys like that, you have to be able to entertain them, right, along the way. And in some areas, the views were incredibly beautiful when we were in Rocky Mountains, you know, driving from Denver to Idaho, it was just the most beautiful view I've ever seen. It's in the summer and you can still see snow in Rocky Mountain in many different places. Gorgeous, beautiful. But in other areas, all we could see was just field after field after field. And I remember when we were driving from Lincoln to Denver and then I went out from my car, it was the massacre of bucks in front of my car, because we had to go through uh, uh, field after field. It took us about two weeks, and I remember when we, so when, when we took that trip from Nashville, I promised my kids, and my wife, become, uh, my wife and I, we promised the kids, we will get to Portland. <laughs> we didn't tell them all the details of our uh, travel plan. But we will promise them, so we leave, we left Nashville with our promise that we will get to Portland. So we stopped in St. Louis, Springfield, Missouri, Kansas City, Lincoln, Nebraska, Denver, Colorado, and we cut through uh, Rocky Mountains, we went to uh, Rexburg, and we visited. Grand Teton on the right side and Yellowstone on the left side. It was super fun. Salt Lake City, I have a friend who teaches at Brigham Young University, so he took me for a tour to stay with them for a night in Salt Lake City, Utah. We went to Nampa and then we drove and I saw the sign, Welcome to Portland. And No, no, to, to, to Oregon. I was like, Yes! You're almost there. The trip was long. And I remember when I was driving from one city to another, my son would keep on asking me, Are we there yet? <laughs> and the question gets more intense, especially if he wants to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Are we there yet, Papi? He calls me Papi. Are we there yet? This is a hard question for me to answer because if I say, oh, son, we still have like 2,000 miles to go. (laughs) And he would say, "Ah, I am so tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go back to Nashville. This question, sisters and brothers, arose from the fact that he has no idea how far the trip would take. He just held on to the promise that we gave him. That we will get to Portland. All he could see was just road after road after road after road. Where is Portland? Are we there yet? And this is precisely the question that you see in this text. Lord, is this the time? If I can translate this into my son's language, the question is be, Lord, are we there yet? Lord, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom for Israel to Israel? Please remember that the Jews at the time were living under the rule of the Roman Empire, the rule of the foreign power. They were so familiar with all the promises of restoration that the God has given them and God has given to their ancestors in the Hebrew Bible. They are familiar with what's uh, what said in the, in, in the book of Psalm. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generation, They're familiar with this promise in Jeremiah uh, twenty twenty three, The days are surely coming, this promise of God, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. They must must be familiar with the words from prophet Amos. On that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its branches and raise up its ruins and build it as in the days of old. They must be familiar also with the, with the words of prophet Ezekiel. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall rule or shall be king over them all. And 20, verse 25, they shall live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob in which your ancestors lived. And they and their children and their children's children shall live forever there. And my servant David shall be the prince forever. They know this. They are so familiar with all these promises. Many of them might have also memorized all these words from the Hebrew Bible. They might have heard this also when they went to synagogue and worship. When the scroll was open, they will rehear these promises of God. Yet. When they look back to their history, they found that their ancestors were taken out from the homeland by force to the exile in Babylon. The Persians came and they had to leave under the rule of Persian kings. The Greek empires led by Alexander the Great defeated the Persians and they had to live under the rule of the Greek kings. They were just a small community who tried to survive in the middle of wars between these huge and powerful empires around them. During the Hellenistic period, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, if you read Books like Second Maccabees, you will find that the priest Eliezer was forced by the Greeks to open his mouth and put pork into his mouth. Defile him with pork. They were familiar with the story of a mother who has seven children. And the children, the sons, were, were tortured and murdered in front of her very eyes. And the mother herself was finally put to death by the Greeks. And during the Roman period, they were living under heavy taxation of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire put a client king named Herod. You've read his name in the Bible. He's the client king put by the Roman Empire to extract as much as possible wealth from them, tax as much and sent to Rome. They are familiar, maybe still fresh in their mind how the emperor Caligula decreed that he started to be placed in the middle of the Jerusalem temple. It's an insult for the Jewish people. All these stories are Part of their collective memory. This is a part of the narrative, communal narrative, as an oppressed community. They're all aware of the promises of restoration that God has given to their ancestors in the Hebrew Bible. But when they open their eyes in the morning, when they got up in the morning and they open the windows, they still see foreign troops. Walking around the town, where is those of promises that God has given them? The reality is so different from the promises of God. So they question. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? It's a question that flows out, emerges out of a deep yearning for liberation, deep longing for a fresh air to breathe. This is a longing of a marginalized community who keeps seeing injustice, unfairness, marginalization, exploitation, dancing in front of their very eyes every single day. Lord, is this the time? I don't know what situation you're. maybe you come here with. Maybe you come this morning with the same questions. Lord, is this the time? Lord, I am tired. I can't breathe. Is this the time, Lord? Each of us here come from different backgrounds, different narratives, different stories. As an immigrant, I see the reality of mistreatment of immigrants in this country. The poor. I heard the stories of my friends in Nashville who spoke in the bus in Indonesian language and somebody came to them and said, bah, bah, ba, ba, speak English. it broke my heart and i was like lord when can i see the relief when i can see the promises of god that you will take care of us lord Is this the time? Maybe you come here with something that you've been struggling with for many years, financial struggle, maybe health struggle, family struggle, relationship struggle, job struggle. Maybe you come here with the societal political struggle. When you enter this new year of 2020, you might ask the same question. Lord, is this the time that you will answer my prayer? Lord, is this the time when you will show up? Lord, is this the time when I can see your promises being fulfilled? Lord, is this the time? Is this the time? I don't know your city. Maybe you're asking this question this morning. Oh, see Jesus' answer. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It's a bit disappointing, Right? Imagine if you ask your husband or your wife, honey, when are you leaving? And your wife or your husband say, that's not your business to know. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know you're in trouble. Your relationship is in trouble. <laughs> At least from the point of view of the disciples, just think about it. This is a disappointing answer from Jesus. It is not For you to know, I just want you to notice this that Jesus did not say that their hope for restoration is false hope. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say that the promises of God are false. That's not what Jesus said. God is a promise giver and God will fulfill God's promises. Amen. I like Numbers 23 that says God is not a human being that he should lie. Or a mortal that he should change his mind. Has he promised? Or, and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God will do whatever God has promised. Amen. What Jesus challenged here is the notion of time. The Greek words, chronos and kairos, both of them are actually used when in Jesus' answer. It's very interesting. It is not for you to know the time. I love taking my kids to hiking, for hiking. And that's why Portland is like heaven and paradise to us. You know, you can go anywhere for hiking. And when we were walking, going up the hill, we would play with seven, my seven years old boy. We would play would you rather game? So he would ask me, would you rather be rich or be strong? Okay. Would you rather be smart or be rich? It's a difficult question, right? Would you rather to be able to would you rather be able to fly or be able to swim as long as you want, you know, under the water? And one day he asked me this question. Papi, would you rather know how you die or when you die? The sun, I would really know when I die because I can prepare for that. <laughs> Knowing how I die will make me depressed. <laughs> right? So you see, a, there is an innate tendency in us as human beings to control time, to manage time, to make sure that time or things happen in time that we have planned that we have appointed and when we cannot determine or appoint the time when things should happen or will happen we can get so anxious why because things feels like completely out of our control Time mastery, therefore, is critical to human survival, time management. But at the same time, no, we didn't mentioned time again. At the same time, the mastery of time or time mastery is also an exercise of power. I'm a professor and the school has set already. And I have set my time also. Papers have to be sub- submitted by this time. Can't go by beyond that. It's an exercise of power, control. So to know God, now you can forget anything that I, can, I say today, but please go home with this. To know God's timing is. Or to, go, to know God's timing means to control God. It means we are trying to exercise power over God. We want to tell God what to do. And I love Jesus' answer. And I, if I can paraphrase Jesus' answer. Jesus would say, let God be God. What you need is not to control God. What you need is to trust God. To hold God's hand and to walk with God. All you need is to let God lead the way. And you just have to trust God. Don't ask when. When? And Jesus' answer, the next answer, I like it too. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The word power here means ability. You will receive Ability. But this is not an ability to control. This is not an ability or power over something. Rather, this is actually an empowerment, ability to participate through the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of restoration, in bringing God's promises to the fulfillment. If you read the entirety of the book of Acts, you will see that the Holy Spirit moves these people who ask this question. Move them from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then at the end of the book of Acts, you will find Paul in Rome, which is the center of the Roman Empire. God's redemptive and restorative work requires human participation. Not only requires, but also invites human participation, empowers us to participate. God's work does not make people stay in a state of passive waiting for a spectacular and miraculous divine intervention into history. God's redemptive work of justice, of restoration, of healing, of provision requires an active work, an active response, and active participation from us. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, to the end of the earth. What you see here is a movement, an action. The power of the Spirit motivates, promotes, stimulates a movement, an action. Do not just sit there and expect a spectacular divine miracle. Our faith is an active faith. It is a faith that actively involves, engages in the work of God in the world. It is never easy. You will face challenges, obstacles, hardships, in the book of Matthew, God's promise that I will be with you. The same to the ends of the earth. I will be with you. And I love the words from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in the middle of struggling, working for justice, for racial justice in the United States in the, in the 60s during the civil rights era. This is what he said. God has been profoundly real to me in recent years. In the midst of utter dangers, I have felt an inner calm. In the midst of a lonely days and dreary nights, I have heard an inner voice saying, "Lo, I will be with you. When the chains of fears and manacles of frustrations have all but stymied my, my efforts, I have felt the power of God transforming the fatigue, despairs into the buoyancy of hope. I am convinced that the universe is under the control of a loving purpose. That in the struggle for righteousness, human has cosmic companionship. Behind the harsh appearances of the world, there is a benign power. moves underneath, sometimes behind the curtain there is a benign power Sisters and brothers, maybe you come here and then maybe you've been praying for something and you've been waiting for a long time for an answer. Maybe you enter this new year expecting God to bring miraculous restoration into your society, into your life, into your family, your health, your relationship. Do not just sit there and do nothing. It's time to get up. your place and move in the power of the Holy Spirit the restoration, the redemption are in the process of realization through your active involvement, your active participation in the work of God, it is time now to to hear and obey the words of Jesus get up and pick up your mask and walk In John 5 8. I pray this morning that God will move you. The Holy Spirit will empower you to participate in the work of God to bring the restoration to your family, your life, your society. Don't stay in despair. That's why I love that song, Holy Spirit. You're welcome in this place. If you say that, you have to say, Yes, Lord. Move me, use me. I want to be part of your work. Amen? Amen. Just say that in your heart. Say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for allowing us to hear your word this morning. And I pray that maybe some of us this morning are struggling and when we enter this new year with the same question that your disciples ask, Lord, is this the time? Is this the time when we will see you show up? Is this the time when we will see a miraculous work of God? Is this the time that we will see the divine intervention in our lives, in our society, in our political life, in our family, in our health, and many other things, many other areas in our lives? God, I pray that you will hold our hand this morning, Lord. And I pray as we, when we were singing that song, Lord, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. And I pray that the Spirit of God move us this morning, God. Move us into action. And I pray, God, that you will use each one of us this morning to bring justice, to bring restoration, to bring the promises of God to their fulfillments. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Can everybody say amen?